Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Brannigan, the president and CEO of She Runs It, and I wanna welcome you to the She Runs It podcast series. We're taking some of our favorite moments from the past couple of years where we've interviewed some C-suite leaders to share with you in an audio format. So here we go, enjoy it, and have a great day. Yeah. the audience how today will run. Um, what, what I like to do is have a conversation with Alicia, learning about her journey, uh, talking about the questions you're all really interested in. And But I do watch the chat, as you all know, if you've been to any of these events with us before, I do watch the chat and uh, like you to come on screen. I do love the wallpaper too, Alison McEntee, um, but I like you to come on screen and off mute and ask your questions. So I will be watching, but we will leave some time at the end of the conversation uh, for questions, if that works for you all. So Alicia, let me start by asking you, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your family, your education, your career aspirations. What got you into this interest industry? Yeah, so- Barrel was- uh, wallpaper, by the way. I don't know if Craig Barrel does wallpaper. It's not our wallpaper, but I do. I got this in France when we were living there. Um, I do love some wallpaper. Um, so I think it started for me, or my interest in marketing probably started when I was a kid and that my parents were both therapists. Um, and we were always talking about human behavior. Why did somebody do this? You know, that sort of thing, analyzing people. And I always kind of grew up in that environment. And so I studied marketing in college. I was kind of a kid. And I would say before that I was a kid in high school who always had a side gig. So I would make my own jewelry and try to sell it. I worked at an ice cream shop. I worked in um, retail at a gift shop. I was babysitting. So I always kind of had a side gig. So it sort of married, I think marketing married business with this interest in you know, consumer behavior. So it felt really natural. I went to Miami University in Ohio. Um, after college, I went into consulting and that just gave me you know, an overview of business, knew I loved that. I then went on to Gap and fell in love with retail. Um, and so that sort of got me in the retail world. Um, from there, I went, I went to business school at Kellogg and studied marketing again. So I was pretty definitely sure that marketing was my thing by that point. Um, and then did a seven-year stint in CPG and then returned back to um, retail at Crate and Barrel, but at the CB2 brand, and then have since then migrated over to Crate and, Crate and Kids. It's awesome. I think the CMO role is a tough role. I talk to a lot of CMOs and they'll say to me, you know, I'd rather be a CFO because, you know, you could justify your decisions based on numbers. Uh-huh. In the case of a CMO, a lot of the decisions are based upon instinct, qualitative feelings, you know, just what works in your mind for your brand. So what I, I, I see you as a risk taker from what I've learned about you. Mm-hmm. Do that confidence, and is is it a challenging role? I think retail CMO is a little bit different than some other CMO roles in that, you know, we control the end to end experience with customers, and so we're getting data out of our ears. You know, I'm I have data by the hour if I want it, and so we have daily email data, daily, daily social data. We have all the platform data, so. We actually can impact, and then we can actually use that data to impact the next day. And so, if anything, 
Um, the benefit of that, I think, as a CMO is that my job is mostly quantitative, actually, because I can measure traffic and mm-hmm. um, all the revenue numbers from marketing on a daily and weekly basis. So I do feel like um, I am able to measure what we're doing pretty easily, which is a nice piece because it is hard. I, that said, you know, I love KPIs and metrics. They're so important to me. Um and I function best when I'm, you know, quantitatively focused on some goals, but it is a lot about gut, you know, just coming to Crate and Barrel, I felt like the brand didn't have a strong position, you know, the positioning needed work and we needed to get to a place that was more emotional with our customers. And that was more of a gut decision that we went after and, you know, kind of worked through a new brand positioning and kind of pushing the brand in a different direction. And, and that wasn't based on the numbers necessarily. It was just based on gut to your point. So it's kind of back to your background a little bit because Rebecca's asking a question in the chat. Yeah. Curious. What was your first job in the industry and what, um, what it, what was it in a marketing capacity? Um, Did you go to college for a marketing role? Is that what you were hoping for? Oh, when I went to college, no, I didn't even really know what marketing was. I just knew that it was about advertisements or something. So I didn't Mm -hmm. really know. Um, I think my first real job in marketing was at, uh, I would say baby gap after business school was the first time I did true marketing. Um, and I liked it, but I think that I'm a person that wanted to also manage a chunk of the business. So I enjoyed it and I like marketing a lot, but I like the business aspect of, of marketing as well. And it was definitely like, I was focused more on, um, advertising um, windows and catalogs. And so I liked that piece of it, but I wanted to see the total picture. So I don't know if that answers the question or not. Sure, it does. Um, So, you know, as we prepared for this uh, session and my colleagues gave me a lot of background material on on, uh, Crate and Barrel, um, it talked about how you focus on a digital first approach. So especially in the last two years, how have you brought that to life and made that work for your organization? Yeah. So I think that was part of that, you know, we talk about gut and where the brand needs to go. I think that's one of the first things that um, I and the team focused on was really just how do we push Crate and Barrel to become a truly digitally, digital first, social first brand? Because there's a legacy of the stores, which remain critically important, but, you know, our future is in digital. And then how do we create that relevance engagement by being a social first brand? So I think the question is really, you know, how did we do it? We wanted to create a seamless experience across all of our touch points and channels for the customer and really meet them where they are. So that means finding synergies between our online presence and, and our digital presence, as well as our in-store, uh, because we know customers still want to feel and experience our products in person before they buy online or throughout that journey. So for example, things like buy online, pick up in-store became big critical focus areas for us with that kind of you know, make that experience seamless. We did things like cut down on catalogs right away. I just slashed, you know, the catalog budget and moved a lot of money over to digital, which was, you know, a bit of a risk. Um, We're doing things like adding QR codes that lead to digital experiences in physical places. So doing that within the stores. Uh, And then we doubled down on our investment in social media. So for example, um, we've, we just recently hired someone to handle TikTok, you know, full-time, just a content creator for us for social wow. reels and TikTok. Um, we've moved our, we've moved to a video first strategy, um, which was definitely, um, an, an innovation within the company. And then we've also moved that into more of like a, a, a short form video. Now that was video. Now it's six to 15 second videos. So constantly innovating against, um, digital and social 
we're never going to know everything there is to know, but I think just trying to keep our team really externally focused on the marketplace, talking to the platforms every week um, to understand trends, using those trends, changing what we're doing the next week and kind of thinking about what's out there is just going to push us forward. But it's critical that we're digital and social first. I'd say that's, um, you know, my number one beyond creating the brand positioning that was, is and remains my number one goal. That's great. So as I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, but is it SG? Would you like to come on screen and ask your question? Sure. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for... Uh, and re-pronounce your name if I did that wrong. Yeah, no, totally. It's Esky. Okay. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I get it all the time. So um, as is close, but um, thank you for actually asking me to do that. Um, so Alicia, thank you so much for taking your time here today. I was wondering as you've grown your career on the brand side, mm -hmm. um, what other functions or individuals within the organization have you felt were important to have strong relationships with, or to have some sort of champion to support your day-to-day -day and what you are trying to accomplish in your role? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think in the role that I'm in now, it's dependent on each role. So at Creighton Kids, I was running marketing and merchandising. So that was a little bit of a different scope than now it's really the marketing teams. So I'd say my most um, critical business partners are the head of creative, who is my partner all the time, um, as well as the head of e-commerce. Um, so those two, I think are probably my most critical day-to-day -day partners where we just have to move in sync. Because if we talk about transforming a company to become customer-centric, digital first, social first, we all have to move in sync. And these are big, Crate and Barrel is a big company. So this is a lot of resources that we need to move together in, in the same direction. Um, and that, but I would say, you know, there, I, I, I have to be close to all my peers. So for example, in this COVID time period, there've been so, there's been so much supply chain disruption that we actually need to just market what we have in stock. And if things flow in and out of inventory, um, given what's going on with all the disruption in Asia every week. So I have a super close relationship with our head of planning and allocation. Um, and I need to, we need, I need to know exactly what merchandise he's prioritizing and why and how, what's going on in um, Indonesia and what's going on in Vietnam so that we understand what to prioritize. So that's really important. And then I've become very close with our head of design um, as well, because I think we influence each other and inspire each other with ideas for collaborations, um, as well as, you know, the future of our design pipeline and categories, et cetera. So I think that's another close relationship. Plus, we can tell stories about why we came to the design that we did as a company. That's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I've interviewed other um, CMOs and they said that the CFO and the chief technology officer are also very important because mm -hmm. it helps you understand, you know, different dimensions of, you know, the business. I'm going to ask, um, Alex, is it Alex Musgrove, Alexander Musgrove to come on screen and ask your question about data? Hi, Lynn. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's Alexandra. Um, yeah, I have a data question. Um, so what, I know you talked a lot about the, you know, you're getting data, data, like all the time, yeah. um, constantly hour to hour, yeah. what patterns or trends are you seeing in that retail data that you're ingesting? Uh -huh. um, and then what are the digital channels that best help you optimize your brand strategy, mm -hmm. um, towards with the data that you're consuming? I know TikTok is really hot social you know, CTV streaming is coming in um, pretty hot as well this year. So what are, what are the trends that you're seeing and what digital channels are you activating on to engage those trends that you're seeing? Yeah, 
I think a high, like broad strokes over the past year, I can speak to that. I would say some of the big trends that we saw were just a real um, recentering into the kitchen. We've seen our kitchen and entertaining business just take off as people sat at home during COVID and started playing around with recipes. And we really have seen that in our business. So that's been something super interesting. Um, I think another big trend we've seen is new mover, our new our mover business, because you know, when people move, we provide them with a coupon um, and out and even just um, advertising in places like um, Zillow. Uh, so we've seen that business, you know, grow triple digits. So we, we're seeing some, I would say, very COVID related areas that I think um, make a lot of sense. We've seen those take off um, in terms of the different types of so the different types of paid digital platforms that we value, I would say at the end of the day, you know, we we really continue to uh, have a lot of success with paid search and automation. Specifically, our team has gotten really sophisticated in our automation and partnering with Google on um, you know using all the tools at our disposal, and so we've been able to drive a lot of efficiency and sales return on paid search. Paid social has been a great way for us to get reach and traffic. So we've really had a lot of success there. And um, Instagram and Facebook lead the charge. They're a bigger portion of our budget, but Pinterest, we've seen huge, we've seen huge growth in Pinterest, particularly within the kids business. So that's been really interesting as well. Um, Places like YouTube, TikTok, we're playing there and we're learning and and growing, Um, but I wouldn't say that they're, you know, as big of focus areas as the other ones. How do you stay current with those social channels? We didn't grow up with them at, you know, they weren't there, (laughs) they weren't there 15 years ago. Yeah. How do you Um, stay current? I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not alone. I'm on a team. And so I'd say my, I depend on my, you know, our amazing team who is so entrenched with these platforms and messing around with stuff. And we were very, like you said, I'm not afraid to take risks. I think we have to, we even allocate a portion of our budget just to mess around with and learn. And so we're always tinkering and trying. We always tell the platforms, you know, we want to be the one to do the beta. We want to be the test. We want to be your tester. And so we're always trying and learning. And I do get on myself and mess around on all these platforms. You have to. Um, yeah. And I depend on my my daughter for TikTok, you know, <laughs> there's different ways. I love that. that I you was hoping to share that. Yeah. 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 And she's pretty good at it. Yeah. Good, good, kids. good marketing. Yeah. Time. <laughs> I know. I know. That's so interesting. Um, so one of the things, um, our audience always likes to hear about is a little bit about the backstory of you. And, you know, a lot of women will approach their career saying, you know, I was lucky. I was, you know, you know, they don't take credit for a lot of their accomplishments. And so I, I want to understand a little bit about like, what do you think you can credit for the success in your career? Hmm. You know, what inspired you to be, the person who would take the challenge on that you've taken on mm-hmm. in your career? So that's a really interesting question. Um, I think curiosity. Uh, I'm a super curious person. I don't have a big ego at all. I'm, I, I'm hungry and I'm curious. So I'm always willing to try and learn. I don't get stuck in an idea or stuck in a place. So I think that my ability to pivot and move with the market and the customer I can zone in really hard on who the customer is, what they want, what's the data, what's the KPI, where do we want to get? So I think just that ability to lose my ego and myself and kind of flow with their, where the customer's going is probably 
why. I think the other piece is I surround myself with an amazing team. I love our team. Our team is amazing. You know, you've met, you know, one person on my team yesterday, Margot. I think our team is so strong that um, we do it together. And that feeling of partnership and family and growing something and um, being motivated together. I think that team building piece, especially as you know, as you grow in your career and you're not managing, I'm not doing everything myself anymore as much as I want to be. I'm not. And so I have to be able to depend on these people. So I think your ability to build a team that can get things done is everything. Great. Ali Vesta, you want to come on screen and ask your question? Sure. I think she touched on it a little bit with Alexandra's answers, but we all saw everyone was home and decorating and is like, I can't stare at these kitchen walls anymore. I'll lose my (laughs) mind. Or a lot of people that are millennials, which are my age, are going out and buying a home for the first time. And you have a house that's on the market, like just on the market. And it's got an offer in 20 minutes because it's so fast. So Mm -hmm. just kind of how is that tied into your marketing and your experience that you've had over the last two years, especially I know CB2 has gotten really popular. So just how has that been your experience there when you have these millennials that people have thought of been quote unquote, really young, but we're 30 and we're buying houses and we're making moves. So um, makes things exciting and it's, we're moving into that next step and how is Crate and Barrel playing into that? And what have you seen as that's come along? I think the first, one of the first things that, that I worked on when we, when I started over a year ago is just shifting crate and barrel. We don't, we don't target anymore by demographic. We target by psychographic because I think it was, it's too limiting to, for, in my opinion, to think about um, a, a demographic based targeting for crate and barrel, because we have people that are just coming out of college that are buying crate and barrel all the way through you know, their affluent years and then all the way, you know, and that includes having children and they're buying their children's stuff and then it creating kids. And so, and then we have people in their seventies that are still buying Creighton Barrel. So it's like, it didn't make sense. It was more about the mindset of the customer that we have, which is really about being mindful. It's about caring about DE&I and sustainability um, and, and they're improving their communities. That social wellness piece is really important to our customers. They care about quality over quantity. So you just have to know your customer. Um, and so I, I think that the millennial customer is super important, particularly within the kids business, because that's our parent. Um, and it very, is a very large chunk of our crate and barrel business, but it's really that purpose and the psychographic that we go after, I think much more intently than the demographic. Great. So one thing that our audience always loves to hear about is that as successful as you have been in your career, there's always that moment where you learn a lesson from failure. Do you Mm -hmm. have your call that really sticks up in your mind? Yeah, um, I think I, I struggle with failure questions because, I mean, I fail all the time, but I don't really believe in failure. I, as a human being, I just don't think failure is the right framing of my activities. I don't find it to be helpful for me to think in terms of failure or my team. Um, I'm a person that constantly challenges myself. I will never think that it's good enough. And so I'm always iterating. So for me, I'm not really, we're not really failing. We're just learning. And then we're pivoting and adapting toward a goal. Um, I think as long as you know what your goal, like if you know that you have to hit traffic up 5%, 
how you get there, the ways that you stumble along to get there, if it's not working, then you try something else. To me, those aren't failures. So they don't even register. So I struggle with failure questions because I don't think we fail. I think we learn and we grow and we're constantly challenging ourselves. Um, it, I just think failure lives in a contrast of good and bad when there's a full spectrum of color in between. And I think that set us up well for COVID because nothing worked. Everything was, we, we didn't have photographers. We didn't have a photo studio. We didn't have a product. I mean, we had to change every, every aspect of how we worked um, and become flexible. No one was in the office. We became a hybrid company. And so because I don't think in black and whites, I think we were able to just deal and roll with what was happening. You know, but that's a unique point of view. I have to say, because I have in the past 10 years in this role interviewed probably hundreds of people at your level. And I haven't met a person who has said, I don't think of failure. And you say, I accept failing 20% of the time. And I think that is such a cool way to think because then you'll challenge yourself constantly to try to be creative. It takes the fear out, right? It's a success of trying a new thing. Yeah. And I love that. So I, I really just want everyone to sort of embrace that. Think of failure as the one in 20 things that don't work, the one in 10 things that don't work, but give yourself credit for giving it a try. So yeah. come on screen and ask the advice you'd like to ask of, of Alicia. This is Megan Agorazalek. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. It's okay. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for being here with us today. Um, I'd love to get your point of view from someone, sorry, um, in an advertising agency background, looking to go client side or brand side. Is there any advice that you would share? Yeah, um, I think we've had, we've had a lot of hires that I think are really interesting from the advertising side, the agency side. I think it's just, if you're asking about retail specifically, I think it's it's a it's super unstructured in retail. So it's not like the defined, um, let's kick off a project, have a team work on it and solve it. It's more like you're doing 150 projects at the same time and you're going in bits, you know, in spurts of energy, um, but maintaining a strategy. Retail is very chaotic. So it's interesting because I was in CPG for seven years and it was such a valuable experience for me. You know, I learned, I mean, I went to business school, so I felt like I knew a P&L, but then when I was in CPG, I really had to know my PL. And I had to, I learned about research and focus and how to run projects in a really strategic and linear way. And then I went to retail and it was like it just blew up into confetti. <laughs> so I feel like some of the some of the, but I took my lessons with me. Like I learned that brand positioning was important, key, you know, strategy was important and staying the course. Um, and I think it's like if you're a person that's really flexible and can kind of deal with that sort of finding, you know, living in ambiguity and finding structure and creating your own structure, then I think retail's for you. So long, long answer to your succinct question, I think, is that it depends on who you are and how you work, where you work best, what type of environment you work best in. Um, and I also think people tend to do best in retail who love, like in particularly home retail, or when I was at Gap, who loved um, the product. I think it does help. Like if you really love home and um, I like aesthetic marketing, you know, I've done different types of marketing. I like things that are beautiful. I just do. I like fashion. I like home. And so I think that helps too. It just helps you to really appreciate what you're doing. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
Now, Elizabeth is asking, what do you do to unwind and relax, to stay grounded? Oh, that's so important. Um, wellness is super, super important to me. Um, it's kind of everything, you know, you can't, I, I can't do it all. I think that's a myth. It's just, I try to just focus on where I am at the moment. I'm a super engaged um, parent um, and spouse. And so my family and my friends are really important to me. And I try to just, when I'm doing work, I try to focus on work. And when I'm with them, I focus on them. Um, but balance and wellness are everything I care about. Sleep, I try to sleep, you know, a solid like eight and a half, nine hours a night. Um, exercise. I, I like to exercise. I love Netflix. I love to watch TV. <laughs> I'm old school in that way. Um, and then we travel a lot. Um, you know, I travel quite a bit and now I haven't as much for the past few years, but I grew up traveling a lot and it's really important to me. And I feel like when I, cause I go, you know, you go really hard at work. I think a lot of us do. Um, so I like to take that, like in Europe, when we were living in Europe, I felt like they, they would work really hard for eight weeks and then take two weeks of travel. Now, that's the dream. But I think if you can work, you know, three months and then take three or four or five days of travel, it just clears your mind, it gets you in a curious place again, and you come back hungry. So I think those are kind of what, you know, my, my keys to staying sane and, um, and engaged and excited. That's great. What was that experience like? And I, I know that your husband was given an opportunity to work, I believe, in France for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You're a high powered working woman and you took the journey with him. What was that like for you? It was fascinating. Um, You know, I had never not worked since I was 15. Like I said, the minute I could work, I was scooping ice cream, making my own money, doing my thing. Um, And, you know, and then I had had two kids and had been you know, working my way through different companies. And so when he got the opportunity to go, I said, no, I can't move to France. Like I have a career too, you know, we can't do this. And then I had, um, I had dinner with a friend who, of course, your friend set you straight. And she kind of looked me in the eye and said, what are you doing? Like you can move to France, like think about your kids and what that would, how that would change their lives. Um, and so I kind of sat with it for about a week. And then I was like, she's right. I've lost my mind. Like I've got to do this. Like, I think I, I also believe a little bit in serendipity and like things happen as they will, you know? And so I kind of let, let that one, let it go, you know, let it be where it would, where, let it go where it would be. And so I went, we went, um, and I actually ended up then getting hired by Otto who owns Crate and Barrel to work in one of their German um, women's retailers. And so it was a part-time gig, but I stayed engaged with the CEO of Crate and Barrel as well as our, our um, parent company. So that was great. And I got the experience of working and living abroad, which was incredible. Um, and then I got a break, you know, I think breaks are important and I didn't know I needed one, but that two-year break, I came back so hungry. You know, I had learned so much globally. I had thought so much about, you know, uh, like I've learned about different places that, you know, this beautiful wallpaper, like where you can find like different aesthetics and experiences. And I came back so ready um, to do more. And, and I knew who I was even more than before, because I struggled, you know, when you live abroad, you struggle a little bit and you get all the joys of it. So it was quite a great experience. I'm really glad I did it, but it was a leap because I didn't know, you know, I thought I was on a path and I didn't know if they would, I didn't know they would rehire me at Crate and Barrel. I, I took a chance. You didn't, you didn't. No, no there was no guarantee. Um, you know, in some ways you get lucky. I, you know, I tried to stay in touch, but I also got lucky. There was a great role at Creighton Kids that they needed. And 
felt like I could fill that, fill that. And I wanted that I was ready to, to try merchandising with marketing, which was super fun. Um, so it was, a, it was a really cool. It all worked out the way it was supposed to, but it was very, it was very interesting, unexpected. Wonderful. So I don't know how much you know about She Runs It. I know I met you last week for the first time. Yeah. But it's, we're a 109-year-old organization. Um, the mission to pave the way for more women to lead at each stage of her career in marketing, media, and tech. And one of the things we're very proud of is our mentoring program. We mentor women. Uh, we've been we've had a mentoring program for 26 years, and we mentor about, you know about a thousand women a year in these nine month mentoring programs. And so, what I want to understand from you is: do, did you have a mentor or two in your life? Mm -hmm. and what was the best advice you got from that mentor? Yeah, I've had, I, you know, what's interesting. I feel like my mentors have, I have one that's in mind that was in my early um, days at Gap when I was um, really junior and kind of learning and soaking everything in. I think one of the key things she taught me is like be a solutions-based leader. Like no matter what your level or what you're doing, like don't come in and complain or wonder, like come in and take whatever knowledge you have and have a solution that you propose, even if that's not where it lands, it doesn't matter. It matters that you're forcing yourself to be diligent and in your thinking and pushing yourself to create solutions. Um, even if they don't make sense, given the resources you have, like find a path. And so that's why I think I became more of a, a person that can zig when everyone's zagging, because I, I know there's a solution to every, I mean, you, there always is a solution. It doesn't mean you like the solution. It just means you might have to give up other priorities and reshuffle um, how you're thinking about it, but there is a solution. So I think she taught me that. And then she's just someone that I've stayed in touch with throughout the years. I would say she's a great mentor for me um, and she lives in San Francisco. And then I think another great mentor for me is my parents and my, and my husband, honestly, between like my family, I've got so much institutional knowledge and we bounce things off of each other. So I think I've got, I've got a lot of good people in my life. And then now I find my peers, my boss, you know, I, I find mentors everywhere I go. And I learn from people that are on my team too. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I'm a person that takes in a lot of energy from everyone. So I think that I find mentors all the time, but if I had one mentor, it would be this woman, Francesca, that I, that work, I worked with many years ago. Great. Christy, help me. There's a lot going on in the chat, Christy. So if you can point to a question that I should be pointing to, please do. But as you look at that, I'd say, um, is there a certain individual who inspires you and why? Mm, so many, that's really hard. I mean, I would have to say, I mean, it's kind of a the, the answer that you probably get a lot, but I would say my mother, um, just because she just is so determined. She, she worked when I was younger. Um, and I think that was, I think there are lots of great examples. So it's not like that was a critical, you know, for us, I thought that was a wonderful example for me of how she, you know, she came to America as an immigrant, um, created her own way, had a great career, was a wonderful engaged parent. So I think I just have learned that, um, my priorities and my values through her. So I would say my mother person. I'd say my mother as well. My grandmother was also pretty awesome. Holly, do you want to come on screen and ask your question? Hello. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is kind of embarrassing. I'm actually 
actually on a walk with one of my sick kids today. So I'm trying to work from the trail. We all um, get it. I didn't think I'd come up. <laughs> so, you know, I am a female business owner and I'm just always so interested to hear from other full-time working moms. Like what's the most valuable, <laughs> so noisy, most valuable piece of advice to kind of like keep going. Cause some days with the kids, school shutdowns, but also this like balance of, you know, all of that, but like drive and determination and being born with this desire to achieve. I'm always so curious from really successful women, like what's the best piece of advice you've been given or you'd give? Mm -hmm. I can speak for myself and what works for me um, versus like advice that I give out necessarily. But I think what works best for me is I, um, I just stop. And I recharge. I don't try to do yeah. it all. I, when I know I'm imploding, if I feel like I'm getting anxious or stressed about things, I wouldn't normally get stressed out or I'm short or tense with my family. Then I know that I'm mm. burning, you know, you're burning a little yeah. too much and COVID has been a lot for everyone, you know, including me. Yeah. <laughs> so I just stop, like, I'll take a whole yeah. week. Cause I, you know, of course I, I have to work on the weekends, honestly, you know, I have to. And so yeah, I won't work on a weekend or I will just literally take like six hours and just veg out and I'll, I do meditate. Yeah. I think that helps me a lot. So I meditate, I'll watch TV, I'll talk on the phone and maybe I'll go shopping, you know, whatever it is I'm in the mood to do, yeah. I will fully indulge myself for a day yeah. um, and just sort of check out of everything else. Um, or I'll like go hang out with my son and go hit tennis balls or whatever I'm in the mood to do. I'll just do it. And I think, yeah. I think there's this, I think we just have to realize that if we push ourselves so far, you have to, you have to um, balance that out with doing nothing at all to get to a stable state. Otherwise you can't just push and push and push all the time. Or I can't, maybe some, somebody can, but I can't. <laughs> I've noticed yeah, myself so like COVID has been particularly gr- grueling, you know, because I was, you know, talking to colleagues about the fact that in, in the old days when we did everything in person, we had to have time to get from point A to point B. Yeah. You yep. had to walk to the meeting. You had to take mm-hmm. a cab. You had to commute. And now we don't do that. Like, in, in fact, today, I left a, 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 an event we were hosting to host this event. You know, like, it's just too much. Right. So I've started to put two hours on my calendar where I can just clear mm-hmm. my head. once a week. I do it. It's not enough time, honestly. But That's I... Great. That's a great point. I have recently started... Um, doing so Holly to your point I've started taking my hour meetings and making at least one or two of my hour meetings I go back to back with meetings some 30 minutes some an hour making some of those 45 minutes just so I have 15 minutes just to clear my head or just answer an email so I'm not answering it during a meeting so I think multitasking is not that great I think it makes it all a little crazy yeah so I think yeah you kind of have to take your breaks um in chunks as well as in every day little tiny breaks like you're saying Lynn I think that's huge and and what a lot of executives I talk to say is that if they had hour meetings they're not 30 minutes Mm -hmm. do hour meetings anymore Mm -hmm. because you have to I've even said to my staff I need to like think before I interview Alicia I know you want to be in a good place and, and think, so don't schedule a meeting for me where I don't have a chance to like invest in time with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to give ourselves some grace yeah, as it relates to, you know, giving ourselves, you know, the time to <laughs> like rejuvenate. Yeah. Um, so we've also invested in tools like Slack. I don't know if this, a lot of members of this yeah. 
group or using Slack, but I found that that cut my emails down so much, so significantly. And that some of those hallway conversations that used to happen would just now happen on Slack. So we're getting a lot done in that channel. That's another just like tip and productivity tip that's more um, hands-on. You know, one of the one of the challenges now that people are having is um, building strong teams, keeping their teams, you know, employee engagement retention is challenging. So yes. Katie Constantaris, and I really did not do a good job of that. Katie Constantaris, would you come on and ask your question? And Katie, absolutely, you actually did that perfectly. The last name is long, but it is phonetic. <laughs> okay, I worked at it. <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know, curious that I know how strong, how important it is to build strong teams and have those, those members around you, you know, yeah. as you've built your teams in the past and as you continue to build your teams in the future, you know, what are some key attributes that you look for in those candidates that, you know, are really going to contribute in the way that you need to, to surround yourself with that uh, mm -hmm. community? Yeah, I think it's really important to um, recruit well, to your point. Uh, I think understanding what you need in the role and what's going to work culturally within the team. So, I mean, first and foremost, I always look for someone that has experience or skill in the area that we're hiring for. So that's important. So assuming that they've checked the box on that, I think it's really about someone that I think can fit well within the culture, um, which, as I, I mentioned, the culture of retail, retail is hard. You know, it's, it's really exciting. It's definitely invigorating and exciting. Um, but it's super dynamic and it's hard. And so someone that is pretty flexible, very like hyper consumer centric, like you have to actually care about what's going on in the marketplace. They're shopping, they're online shopping, you know, shopping the stores. Um, someone who has that um, insatiable interest in social, et cetera. I think that's what I'm looking for as like um, extra pieces on top of the basic skills. And then someone that's a team player. I don't, I don't tolerate environments where um, there's talking behind, like I want a full, I want an environment that's fully transparent. If you have to have a tough, I have tough conversations all the time. I'm not afraid to have a tough conversation, but I'm going to have it with you to your face. And I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking in an, in a, in an unemotional way. And we're going to talk about it and get to a solution. I don't want people that we're not going to have any drama. I can't tolerate that within the group. So I think I just need to know that someone that's professional and um, confident and open in their, their in their conversations as well, which I think you can sniff out in an interview through examples. Um, but that's super important to me as well. It's just a cultural fit. That's awesome. Thank you. Jesslyn Hines, you have a great question about how you navigate to the CMO role. Want to come on screen? Hi. Yeah. Can you see me? I just shared. Oh, hi. How's it going? Um, yeah, so I just had a question. Um, how would you say that you made the jump from a senior manager level to executive level um, onto CMO? Ah! So I was just wondering, sorry, I just got a new puppy. Uh, me um, too. You did too? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's like. You can show us your puppy. Oh, yeah. cute. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> I'm in the crate. I'm trying to yeah. be professional here, but I love a puppy and a kid. Yeah. Send all your kids in frame. <laughs> I don't have kids yet, just a puppy. <laughs> But yeah, so just any advice you have for a woman trying to climb the ladder um, in the corporate world to make it up like you, um, really just like going from that, I made it to that senior manager level. And then, I mean, I saw, I actually currently work on Gap right now, I'm um, mm -hmm. doing like streaming oh, advertising. So I saw, yeah. my, I saw your bio and your path and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. I wonder how she like made that transition. Yeah. Um, I'm not someone who, uh, in transparency, it's not like I thought to myself, I'm going to be CMO someday. I am not. I sort of let my career wind as it did. I knew I 
I knew that as I gained more and more experience, like, like I said before, when I was at Gap, I felt like what I was working on felt narrow. You know, when I was in the, um, I was in the, it was in the like Windows catalog world, all the external marketing, not the in-store. So out of home mark, out of store marketing, basically it felt narrow and I knew I wanted more. And so that's why I went into CPG because I felt like there you're kind of the hub of the wheel and you feel you can experience the entire brand and have, you know, you're working on supply chain, you're working on sales, you're working on marketing. So then I think I, and then I knew with that gut that I would continue to want experiences that allow me to see the full picture, because I think that's just what I like, but some people are amazing specialists and they want to drill deeper and deeper and deeper. So I think some of it is like, for me, it was more like be intuitive with who you are and what you're good at and what you like to do and get better at it. Like seek out experiences that allow you to develop what you're best at and where you can learn. And then I think promotions growth, it happens. You get rewarded because you do a good job because you're choosing things that you're good at and that you're learning on. Does that make sense? I get worried when people can, and you're not saying this, but I think I get worried when people come in and they, they say like, I want to be this role. How do I get there? And I think, no, you want to learn and you want to kill it in what you're doing and find the next opportunity. And then you will get there or you'll get somewhere that's better than that, that you haven't even thought through. So I think it's more, um, you know, thinking about growth and career, you know, growth and career growth versus position, if that makes sense. I would ask like, what sparks joy for you? Like, yeah, this is what, I mean, we, we've got one life, right? So follow your gut. Like if I think about my own career and I think about the jobs that I've taken on, I just had this gut instinct that I was going to learn from it, add to it, enjoy it, be passionate about it. And I didn't think about what the role was so much as I thought about, man, I could kill that job and I would really love it. You know, so think that way. And, um, and I think that you could be very successful with, you know, with your career in that way. But Carrie Woodruff, thank you very much, Jesslyn. Thank you. Woodruff, come on screen and ask more about, um, uh, the digital and social first marketing efforts that Alicia has taken on. There you are. Sure. Hi, nice to meet you. Thanks, Lynn. You too. Um, I just love to hear more about how you're operationalizing against leading with excellence in digital and social first. I love that you mentioned um, how you your teams work with platforms weekly and analyze and even optimize against that. Can you talk more about what that workflow looks like for Crate and Barrel? Yeah. So, um, for example, we found that in paid, in paid search that outdoor was continuing to perform through the winter. So we started marketing outdoor through the winter. So it, within certain zones of climate, for example. So that's like a way that we use digital data to inform our activities and how we even merchandise the stores. So that's one way. Another thing that we did is, you know, we, we leverage influencers all the time. We also um, launched a digital only catalog on Pinterest recently for Creighton Kids to meet customers where they were during COVID because um, they were online so much. So we created this lookbook um, with Pinterest that allowed pinners to explore different avenues of content. So think playroom, nursery, kids room, accessories, and then it drove to an online lookbook experience on our site to continue that experience from Pinterest and to convert. So we're trying out new ways of working that are more digital first. Thank you. Yeah. Great. 
Um, well, I have one more question and then we're going to uh, wrap today, but I was very interested in the kid activist program that you launched in the past year. Yeah. Bringing a space to highlight young activists making a difference. Mm -hmm. Even in our industry, there are a lot of people who are sort of thinking about their career and they have a side hustle and they're thinking about, um, you know, working in a different way. So mm -hmm. inspired that launch and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I love this program. I'm so thank you for recognizing. I think it's such a fun program. So it's really a mission and purpose-driven program. At Creighton Kids, we are focused on cultivating creativity and expression of children. It's part of our mission. And then we also know that in today's world, parents are telling us that they want their kids to feel like they have a voice, even at a young age, and we share those values. So what we've done is really create this program that highlights young activists that are making a difference. So this year we supported and amplified three voices. So Genesis Butler, Jaquiel Jackson, and Marley Diaz. Um, and we created, we let them have a dream make room makeover to create a creative space for them for inspiration. And we donate to their cause of choice. What I love about this program is that it just allows us to go deeper than just a donation because we can actually stretch and give the, give the kids a platform to grow their impact in their audience. And I, I have to say, I've never seen our internal team be more excited and about a program than this one. So this is, that's a really fun thing. It's just been really motivating to the team. And in 2022, we're doing it at, a, at an even larger scale. So after working with these three young activists this year, we're searching for more kids that are making a difference and allowing them to continue to do their work. So we're gonna have a kid activist class uh, we took applications and then these kids will receive the dream makeover to create the space for them to work. They'll get the donation. So same as last year, but we're, we're also going to be amplifying their voices and causes on our social handles. And we're creating a brand um, kid activist summit where they can attend um, and learn from business people. So actually engage with us to help them kind of build out what they're doing with their causes. So connecting them with a much deeper intent and on a deeper level than product, connecting them with them through values uh, has been really, really inspiring. And we've sent our tiny, you know, product styling teams in to style their homes and partner with these kids. Oh. So we're actually getting to know them. And it's just been really, really cool. God, I'd love you to style my home. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just bring your wallpaper to yeah, my house. Well, I, no, I mean, I have. Uh, so worry. my last question to you is, so you veg out. What do you want? What do you like to want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, it's ranging from white Lotus to world war two in color. <laughs> so very wide range, but I, yeah, whatever's like, whatever people are talking about, I'm kind of curious about, so I'll check it out. And then I like to nerd out with things like world war two in color is my favorite show right now. I'm watching that with my 14 year old son. Do you watch Ozark amazing. or Yellowstone? Are those um, Yellowstone? Yes, we are. My husband's from Montana. So we love Yellowstone. Um, a lot of like, we kind of know the families that they, we think they're loosely based on. Um, so love that one. And I haven't seen Ozark yet, but I need to get into it. I've heard it's, it's a little frightening, but it's slightly funny. disturbing, but great. Perfect. Disturbing, but great. I mean, if you're going to veg, you could veg on that. Excellent. Put I want to come off um, mute and give a round of applause for this fabulous uh, CMO conversation with Alicia Water. So thank you. So much. Thanks for having me. That's been wonderful. I, I really have to, you know, thank, I believe it was the Leadership Development Committee from the Midwest who uh, found uh, you 
and brought you to us. Um, this is a, a wonderful organization that helps women um, as they rise to pave the way for more women to lead in marketing, media, and tech. And we'd love to shine a spotlight on people like you because these women learn from you. And we create a community by giving them an opportunity to ask you questions and give you uh, give them access to people like you so they can grow in their careers. But uh, Midwest Leadership Development Committee, what an awesome job you did in finding Alicia and uh, having her grace us with your presence today. So thank you for that, Alicia. I hope we get to know you and uh, you learn more about our organization and stay with us in the future. I wanna thank our Corporate Alliance partners for being with us, for, especially in the past few years. What, you know, we, we, Alicia, I don't know if you know this, but most of our programming was done live until February 27th of 2020 when we stopped. And then we started hosting virtual programming and we did in that year of 2020, 74 virtual programs. Wow. And to keep our, our members strong, current, connected and included. And we, uh, we know we succeeded in that. We're proud of that. So that'll thank everybody for joining us. Thank you so much, Alicia, for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. And Good I luck. hope everyone enjoys the rest cool. of your day. Thank you.